Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast-growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. My name is Eric Kwanstrom. I'm the CMO over at Science. Today's episode really fun one with Mark Harnish, the Director of Sales Development over at Feedonomics. What's particularly interesting about this is, is Mark is a longtime vet of the sales development space. In fact, came over to Feedonomics after leading the team at ListTrack and, you know, kind of began his career as an SDR, worked his way up through, you know, kind of the current title leading SDR teams. And, what we walk through in the interview is going to be especially useful because he talks a lot about you know what he's bringing to this fairly or relatively new role and the kinds of things that that he's starting his team on the strategies the ways in which he's you know breaking them in setting up swim lanes going over you know multi-channel outreach and there's a lot of tips and tricks here for how you can run your own sales development team more effectively that i find great insights in what mark had to say so this interview really flies right by because the conversation from my money was really vibrant and took us through kind of a, a very sensible, logical, and effective plan for how to run a sales development team. So at any rate, without further ado, let's get to Mark. Great interview. And we're back with Mark Harnish. Mark, real pleasure to have you on the ESD podcast. Right now, you're the Director of Sales Development at Feedonomics. You've been there for half a year. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's time flies when you're having fun. What led you over there? Um, I really so that's a I have a long answer for that. I was at uh, my previous company, List Track. Absolutely loved it. It was my kind of uh opening to SaaS and, and the tech space in general, but specifically sales development, which was not uh an industry that I was familiar with. I kind of just assumed that sales like account executives just did everything. Um and then I learned really quickly that they don't do anything. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, they do some things, but uh, <laughs> prospecting isn't necessarily some things that certain AEs like to do. So um, I really liked it. When I started at ListTrack, it was probably halfway to where I, it ended up where I was. So it wasn't like I, I built this thing from scratch, but I would like to think that I contributed a, a, a large part of the success we had there. But I kind of wanted to start from scratch and, and Feedonomics reached out to me and they were building a, a brand new outbound team. Uh, so they had previous SDRs, but the SDRs were mostly inbound and kind of doing some ad hoc projects, but nothing uh, necessarily too organized. So it kind of, uh, I really liked the idea of just being able to put my mark on it from day one as far as like a, a playbook and uh, kind of the direction of the team. And I just felt like it was growing in my career as well, which is obviously important for personal development. So yeah, I made the switch uh, in a very hectic time of my life, which is kind of the way it worked in my personal life was the, the birth of my second daughter uh, wow. right at the same time. Yeah, my <laughs> second week at Vietnamics was uh, my first week of matern or paternity leave. So interesting timing, but it all worked out. And yeah, really proud of what we've accomplished so far in a short time. Well then let's let's dive in because I think there's a lot of folks that you know setting up an out, a new outbound motion building out that flight first playbook getting in the ground floor there's a lot of aspects to that what was most important to you coming in that you you know you were thinking hey for this to be a really great stop on my career 
trajectory, if you will, to build something great here. What do I want to put in place first? Oh man, I struggled with that because there was a lot. So I had kind of, you know, you do your normal onboarding as far as I wanted to learn the product. I wanted to understand how we can help because it's hard to to be a good leader if I can't help my team to, to know how we're prospecting to customer or prospects. So I had this long list and then I actually just weighted the list as far as like, what's the most important from day one through, you know, it's kind of a, not the most organized version of like a 30, 60, 90 day plan, but uh, <laughs> a long list that I wanted to do. Uh, and I realized from, from what very beginning, it was to set uh, procedures. It was, you know, the team, I, I spoke to every current SDR and just kind of talked about what's what's been working, what's not working. A lot of them were relatively new to the company, but they were previous SDRs. So I respected their opinion as far as like, what would you do? And, and kind of, you know, in your past SDR experience, what's something that worked? And the first thing was just kind of the most boring, probably the procedures as far as you know, when should they reach out versus an account executive? How many days do they need to wait before reaching out if an inbound doesn't show? And just kind of things that they were very confused about and didn't really have much direction in the past. So mm. that was that was definitely like the first thing. So really like engagement. the creation of swim lanes, if you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because there was a lot of confusion of, you know, I was reaching out to this account and then account executive kind of started and now they got credit or, or somebody else got credit. And it in the past, there wasn't really someone there to speak up for them. So I was also kind of the voice of like, hey, this is the SDR account. We have procedures in place or maybe we didn't, but now we do and we need to follow those. So that was one of the first things I did even before you know growing the team or, or anything like that. That was important to me. And what kind of footprint were you walking into? Like how many SDRs were there when you started? And then maybe even contrast that with how many are there now? Yeah. So when I started, we had... Um, unfortunately, one was kind of already out the door. So we had four. And now there are seven on the team. Okay. Um, so almost actually eight. Yes. Uh, we're actually hiring. Anyone's looking. This is going to be more of an inbound role, which is also new to our company, like specifically inbound. But yes, we we will be moving to eight and then we'll probably relax at eight, see how things go. But I have a feeling we'll, we'll be expanding. Um, if not the end of this year, definitely at the beginning of next year. Okay. So after kind of setting up like those procedures and kind of like going through your weighted list, what was the next chapter? What did that look like? Um, and you getting up to speed on the product and learning, you know, all about the company yourself. Yeah, well, I'm still in a process. You know, I kind of have now. I'm like six months to to the year plan. So, and and we're a, a fast, smaller growing company, so things are changing constantly. And and our team, I wouldn't say more than others, but definitely equally, uh, has to adapt a lot as well. As far as you know, here's a new project. Let's get the SDRs, or here's a uh, you know, from events to white papers and case studies and all the things that we're producing. So. After, I would say now it's kind of like, what tools do I need to be successful in this position? Mm -hmm. So going more of like the tech stack. Uh, we have a pretty decent tech stack, I would say, as far as like tools that we need. But then it was kind of like, what's phase two to get us to the next level? You know, what's what are the nice to haves and what are the need to haves? And then obviously looking at budget, things like that. So that's one of the things. Also just building out the actual books of business. That was a pretty time-consuming process because it's like, you know, they, they didn't have a really defined ICP. So kind of building that out, what does that look for look like for us and our team? And, and where should we really focus the majority of our time? And then once we discovered that, 
getting those accounts in, building out actual verbiage of, of the sequences, and then the outreach and coaching through things like that. Before we dive deep, because I'd love to crack the egg on that ICP, what did you see as kind of like the need to have and nice to have tech stack? It, it's oftentimes really interesting to get a window in the world of you know a new leader, new job, what we would even call a trigger event in the SDR space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. selling into yeah, it. exactly. Um, so do you want me to list like specific yeah. uh, companies? Okay. So we use HubSpot at mm-hmm. my current company. Uh, and I have to admit, I'm, I'm kind of a Salesforce nerd. In my old world, something that made me very successful was doing a lot in Salesforce myself as far as not necessarily just relying on like an ops team. Like I was pretty advanced in anything from like reporting to building dashboards and things like that, which just really helped me. Coming to HubSpot, I think it's, I can admit it's more of a me issue than HubSpot. I'm sure there's the capabilities there. It's just I haven't spent the time to kind of learn. So I have to rely on other people, which isn't always something that I'm, I'm great at doing. So also that causes issues with compatibility. Salesforce kind of has a monopoly on a lot of tech. Like it's easy just to go into the, the Salesforce, uh, whatever their store or market is called. And uh, yeah, thank you, the App Exchange, yeah. and get the app. With HubSpot, it's just a little more limited as far as like, yeah, we can do that, but it's more custom API builds and your team needs to build it. So in saying that, I I would love to... I don't right now. So maybe I'll hear from... Depending on your uh, how wide your reach is of, of listeners. But uh, I like Sales Loft. I think Outreach is nice too, but I'm definitely a, a Sales Loft guy. So that would be nice. HubSpot obviously has their sequences. It's just not as detailed. Uh, the reporting is kind of lacking on, on things. And I'm definitely... Um, like a data guy, like I love to see reply rates and A/B split tests and things like that. So I'm a little limited there. So I would love to have like a company like Salesloft. I'm in the process of speaking to them, but I love Ambition, the gamification tool. Sure. I think, um, for the price, that's that's just such a cool thing that allows for easier visual reporting for not only the team but I think actually leadership as well uh, was a big thing that we use for that. And then the gamification piece is really nice, just kind of a, a nice gimmicky way to to help run contests and sales, different sales events. That's probably it as far as like what I would... And even ambitions, obviously more of a nice to have than a need to have. But those are probably the ones... We, we already have Zoom Info, Sales Navigator. So it's not like we have no tools now that we're working with. Right, right. And so for you, just kind of like filling those gaps and making the, the stack, if you will, fully integrated, it sounds like high order of business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And... You know, one of those things you don't really necessarily think uh, as far as the importance level. Like, there's a lot more I could be doing with my time, but then it's like, well, these these are tools that can either you know significantly help or hurt depending on the situation, your team. So um, it is important <laughs> to do. So yeah, that's that's definitely been kind of the phase I'm in now. And then working out, you know, the the IT aspect of you know getting my team involved. And we are a global company, so we have a team. And MBN and APAC as well. So also trying to find tools that aren't just supporting the the NORAM team, but everyone, the especially for me, the sales development uh, organization. And that that's pretty interesting because you guys are north of three hundred folks, right? Yeah, in yep, your organization. We, yeah. And so yeah. maybe arguably, and and please correct me if I'm wrong on this, but coming to the outbound game somewhat later in your company's development. Yeah. No. No. For sure. Now. We have a big, a pretty big global team. So 
I would still say, although we are north of 300, we're a relatively smaller company. I mean, obviously, it's all comparatively speaking. Yeah. But yeah, we just had a lot of success. I think we have a really great product that it's kind of like a... Not necessarily sells yourself. I need to give my salespeople some credit. But it's a really great product that a lot of companies realize you know, we're, we're the, the leader in the space and we can really help them. So we've had some, some quick success. That's great. So... I imagine with leader in the space kind of feel to your brand, one of the things that getting back to kind of like your own ICP, those conversations might come easier, have more familiarity, greater awareness. Yeah. Um, well, for the most part, you know, you always have trying to find the right person. So, mm-hmm. so Feedonomics, uh, hence his name, is a feed management software. Typically, you don't come across titles that say like a feed manager. It, so it can. <laughs> wear many hats, digital marketing manager, things like that. So as long as we're reaching out to the right prospect, typically they understand what what we do and probably have some familiarity with us. Um, we're also a subsidiary of Big Commerce, so that that helps as well. Big Commerce is very well known and respected in in the space. So that that certainly helps. But yeah, I, I think for the most part it's it's uh, as long as we're reaching out to the appropriate prospect, they at least understand what we do after a short conversation and, and the value that we can provide. And and I imagine that's where a lot of the playbook rubber meeting the road of what you're experiencing now is figuring out that puzzle, right? Like, how do I get into an organization, figure out who the right person is, the best contact, if you will. And then how do I message to them around kind of like a, a way that we can help? Yeah. And I think most... SDRs probably hopefully are aware of this, but there's there's really two main messages, right? There's like the doer and then the decision maker. People call them different champions and different names. But even more than my last company, there's really a, a pretty significant difference in in those two. Like there's somebody using our software and, and we're we're really full service. So not too many of our customers are like in Feedonomics every day, but there's people that are using our tool for reporting to their boss and things like that. And and I think there's a really big disconnect when you get to the, you know, VC level of not understanding the feed management aspect. They understand how the end result, but they're not understanding the process. So it's um, more than my previous company. There's there's a bigger gap, and then it's kind of where do you focus your time more on the decision maker, who in 99% of phone calls you want there, but then also they're not necessarily on my end understanding what feed management is and what exactly we do and not all the all the time obviously but especially bigger companies um so it's kind of finding that which is where the whole split testing thing comes in the distinction of should we focus our time on on the doers or, or more on the on the decision makers and then the messaging is is obviously significantly different different with those as well our main selling point to a doer is saving time i mean significant significant amounts of time where the decision maker might not always care about the the time depending on on the industry and what they do they they care more about probably the revenue and the results so yeah it's just kind of finding that i always call it like the marksmanship of of SDRs like you, you need to focus your messaging on who you're reaching out to it should be significantly different messaging to a CEO versus a, a digital marketing manager. I love that. The marksmanship. I, I'm going to steal that one from you. So as you're kind of like prospecting into those big, bigger companies and you're you're figuring that out, what are ways that you've organized your own split tests to, to be able to learn and, and kind of help your marksmanship improve? Yeah. So I think it's 
uh, establishing who who the typical meeting is with and then how that results. So whether it's HubSpot or Salesforce, you should be able to kind of easily tie that whole story. So, you know, the the first message went to Eric, who's the marketing manager. And then six months later, we closed versus um, maybe the first message went to Christina, the, the CEO, or, or whatever the order is, and then kind of just following that story and then collecting the data over time. So hopefully after... It depends on how long it takes to close deals. But hopefully after six months to a year, you can start seeing that story where, you know, hey, we've actually had much better success with the initial conversation with a manager versus the V-level person. Or maybe it's the opposite. You know, we've had... Even you know, we use Gong. Gong can help a lot with that. Um, yeah. Seeing that, like, hey, when when the VP and, and Gong actually produces a ton of content and data themselves, which kind of you know we could use. But you know, uh, if a V level person is on that first call, maybe it has a significantly higher higher chance of closing, or or the end results are, are better. Whatever that is. Um, so we're just trying to use all of that. And and how do you think about even harnessing those tests, or like how often to change? How that own rhythm and or cadencing, some even called sequencing, like should take place at again this this fairly new team that's almost doubling in size, that's kind of working in this fashion for the first time. Yeah, so I can just give you an example. We've we've only so I started in April, and by the time we had our true what I'm calling like books of business, like lists, whatever you call them, and we're more of an account based marketing model, so we have. Our SDRs have a list of accounts that they're prospecting. They only got those accounts finalized in July. And oh, wow. now here we are, August 9th, and we've already changed sequences twice. So I change a lot. I, I like to adapt to what's working, what's not working. I'm sure others have had different experiences, but in my experience, six years of being an SDR leader, if you're or if if something's working and you're just gonna sit and ride it out, it's probably you're gonna have a few bad months uh, pretty quickly because what was working last month probably is not going to work this month. So we're always adapting. It might not be major things, just little twists and maybe the order of the sequence or cadence or you know, trying to add video and maybe you didn't do video or just some things like that. Just mixing it up and trying to keep it fresh. COVID's obviously changed a lot of that. I'm old school in the thought of phone calls. I still think phone calls are extremely important. Um, even now, you know, it, it doesn't take a long time to go through a hundred phone call. You know, I've I've heard a lot of SDRs like, "Well, I only had one connection and and a hundred phone calls." I'm like, "Well, how long did that take you?" Because if you didn't have if you had 99 people not answer, it was probably pretty quick, and at least that was still a good use of your time. Because I I think most people realize your chances of get, setting like a meeting go up significantly when when someone answers a phone call if your team's properly trained. So I, I still like phone calls. So it might just be mixing up the order of the sequence, things like that. Uh, but we're mixing mixing up messaging quite often. And where do you do you have like kind of non-negotiables or best practices, things that you brought to the table as you were building those sales playbooks, which have changed, but but that you were like, hey, I want to make sure that we're doing it this way. Yeah. I, I think phone calls is is one of the more important ones. I think it's easy, especially for new newer SDRs, I don't mean younger in age, but like younger to the role, to to see, you know, most of my meetings are coming through email. Why wouldn't I just focus more on email? And I still think that having a voice to that face, like you know, if you see Jane Smith emailing you once a week for for three months, and Jane Smith has also sent you a message on LinkedIn, she's also maybe sent you a video, she's also called you and left you a voicemail. Versus 
John Smith, who's only sent you emails. I think there's a big difference in that. Um, maybe not for everyone, but I think statistically, there's a, a really big difference in that. So the phone calls was probably the big one. I think just activity in, in, in general. I'm definitely lean more towards quality, quality than quantity. But at the same time, I am a big believer in quantity. So if it, if it was possible to sit and write like a handwritten email to every single person, I think that'd be great. But as we all know, you can you can write like the best email in the entire world. Uh, you know, the, the best personalization. You saw that they were at something, and it, like you brought it back to our product and how we can help them. You send it, and you're so excited. And then the next day, they just write back unsubscribe or something. Like it, it happens to everyone. So you still need to have the, the quantity to effectively hit your number and, and do your business. And there's tons of reports out there that show you know marketing, you know blast versus like all personalized the responses are probably always be better on the marketing glass but it's just the quality that you need as well as far as having that personal touch yeah i couldn't agree more and and i think there's a ton of data in our industry now thanks to folks like sales loft and outreach and others that basically indicate that multi-channel is always more effective like in the in the grand scheme of things than monochannel um it's it's in every aspect of business i mean in both of my you know, my previous world, even in my current role at Feedonomics, um, when we're selling, we're telling, you know, we have a lot of different customers, but like uh, anybody who sells online is probably going to be a pretty good uh, prospect for us. And we're constantly telling them multi channel is always better, whether it's multi channel where you're selling, like marketplaces, or even in the outreach from them, a B2C model, multi channel, not only emailing them. Obviously, nowadays we see you go on Facebook or Instagram, you're constantly. Maybe you see TV ads. Maybe you still see print ads. Like the multi-channel is always going to be more effective than just trying one one touch point. Well, and I think that it goes back to like maybe <laughs> dare I even say first principles of marketing, which is repeated exposure is the only way to really create awareness, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. I, you, I have younger like cousins and like that who who are like, oh, like a TV ad. Like, why is a TV ad? Like, no one ever sees a TV ad, and it's like. It's subconscious, you know. Yeah, there are some people that probably do see TV ads and say, "Oh, it looks nice." But yeah, I, I mean, if I see a a shoe ad, ad for Nike every day, I'm watching TV. D- am I going to instantly go buy Nike? Probably not. But maybe when I'm looking at shoes the next month, I might consider Nike uh, without even realizing that it's because of these commercials in place. So yeah, it's multi-channel is is great. Yeah, you're shaping people's opinion at that subconscious level. I mean, that isn't that where brand preference comes from in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> and to my point with phone calls, I personally feel, and maybe it's just me, but you know, if you're writing these amazing emails and you think there's no time for calls, I think someone's much more likely to read your email if they're familiar with your name, which that's yes. been proven. And how do they get familiar with your name? Not just through email, but through LinkedIn, through video, through phone calls and voicemails. Even if they're just deleting, 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 deleting. We, we used to A-B split test a lot with voicemails as far as like, do you start with your name? Do you start with your name and company? Do you save it to the end? Um, so there's a lot of ways you can go with that. But a lot of times people will listen to to see at least who it is. Or even if you want to start at the beginning and they delete it right away. Hey, this is Mark Carnage with Feedonomics. Like Even if they delete it right away, they heard Mark Carnage with Feedonomics. So yeah, I think a lot of that all comes back together and kind of works, works in tandem to produce the best results. Well, it's funny. One of the things that we've long espoused here at at Science is the idea that if you thought slightly differently about like a voicemail, for instance, rather than thinking of it as, oh, I'm going to do everything in my power to get a call back, which is a 
the stats would suggest very, very, very rare. <laughs> Lowest potential, like, you know, kind of success rates of just about anything that can be measured. Yeah. If you shifted that a little bit to the right of, hey, what I do have, every voicemail I leave is an intimate, like oral <laughs> experience or an audio ad is probably another way of thinking of that. Like if I have just me and that that person who picked up and is checking their voicemail and listening for anywhere between five and maybe 30 seconds at max, what could I, what kind of brand impression could I leave with them? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and it's funny you say that as far as like the lowest percentage, because when when I'm onboarding, especially a brand new SDR, that's typically a question like, oh, like how many times do people call you back or you know, leave me a voicemail? And I was like, probably zero uh, in your career. It was always like a celebration. Here. Like we we'd have at my previous company, we'd like have lunch and if someone brought up, you know, oh, Blah blah blah. Call me back. It was like I, I I think in you know my my five years at List Track, uh, I think we had two turn phone calls. I love it. Two callbacks. Yep. But it, you know it doesn't reduce the importance if again you kind of slightly shift your mind around the activity space or use a modern tool like SalesLoft for voicemail drop. Yep. You know. Yeah. Exactly. And and the amount of the timing is huge. You know, you only have so much time in a day, and for how much higher percentage chance you get to set that meeting when someone answers the call, it's worth blocking an hour. Like you can you can make a lot of phone calls in one hour if you yeah. have some type of dialer. Um, so even if you have zero connections and you're leaving voicemails or even if you have zero connections, you're doing all ghost calls. I, I don't see that as a waste of time at all because if you're writing really, really nice, great personalized emails, you know, how many can you really get out in an hour versus calls? And then if someone does see a highly personalized email versus you get someone on the phone call, the chances of you setting that meeting are much higher on the phone call. So obviously, I'm not saying email is not important. Email is probably still more important, but calling, just in my mind, uh, is still very effective. When you teach and train your staff, especially around the phone channel, and if you were to think of calls as kind of like a conversation architecture, what are some of the ways in which you would teach, train, and coach your callers to have more as opposed to less success on their connected calls? Yeah, I, I I'm not a fluff guy at all. So I think um, I've I've listened to so many like podcasts and trains over the years. I, I I'm not. I know I, I didn't come up with this amount. It might be like Morgan Ingram through through John Barrows. Um, both both former guests. <laughs> there you go. But I I love just like getting right to the point. Like uh, I don't necessarily love and and I think it's John Barrows that'll tell you it depends on what, like you know in the South you can kind of get away a little more with. You know, like, hey, Eric, how's your day going today? But like up north in the east, especially northeast, like New York and Boston, it's hard to like do that. But I kind of just stick to it as a general, like, I don't love the, hey, Mark, how are you today? Yeah. Okay. Who's that? Like, I like to just like get right in like, hey, this is Mark. I'm calling with Listry or Feedonomics. The reason for my call today is... And then just going right into it. And then typically that that... That intro goes into a lot of different ways. So even if you wanted to say like, "Hi, this is Mark calling with Phenomics. How are you today?" I don't hate that, but you just have to be prepared to go right into it, no matter what they say, because they're right. they're only going to say, "Good, how are you?" And you can say, "Hey, I'm great. Thanks for asking. The reason for my call today is," or they might say like, "Wait, who is this?" And you just say, "Mark with Phenomics. The reason for my call today is," and then you go like, "No matter what, I'm kind of answering it the same way." Even if they said like, "I'm really busy. What's this about?" Completely understand the reason for my call. Like, I'm only changing that first couple word, um, mm -hmm. and then I'm going right into it anyway. Hopefully, with some type of value prop that can answer a question or end with a question. So that's the biggest thing. I, I just want 
we've all been there. I, I like to answer my phone for just to hear SDRs. And I've yeah. had some painfully awkward, you know, hi, this is Mark. Hey, this is Steven calling. How are you today? Pretty good. How are you, Steven? Good. Good. Like, what can we, what can I help you with? Like, it's like you're calling me, just, just get right to it. And if I'm yeah. interested, great. If not, so that's, that's the biggest thing for me. I don't want to say it's easy because obviously it takes practice to make that sound good. And you have to have a very good trigger as well. And, and I really like, want that to be personal, personalized as well. So, like, make sure you understand who you're calling, what their business need is. But I think if you have that, it's really just kind of your personality. If you're the type of person, like in general, that would just go right in, then I don't think you need to say like, hey, how are you? If you're just, if that feels uncomfortable and awkward to you, I'm, I'm also perfectly fine with, hey, how are you today? Um, I'm crappy. Like, what do you want? Completely understand. The reason for my call, like you just have to know which answer you're going to reply to that. Right. Yeah. And then getting to the, the business, how do you usually like to, once you're in a call at that point, the reason for my call today, where do you like your, your callers to take it from there, your SDRs to kind of like move through a value prop or checking in with the status quo of the prospect or unearthing a, you know, a gap or a problem space? What, what's, the, what's the way in which you, you prefer them to move? Um, I definitely like value prop, but I think there's a lot of different calls. So if we're doing like a competitor blitz, like there's still a value prop, but there also might be like a pain point that we're bringing up um, mm-hmm. that we might not specifically call out. So I think it's like a, an organized... I, I don't like templates by any means, but I think it's like an organized, for lack of better terms, template of where they're not physically reading, but they kind of have a script type mentality in their head that they can make sound natural. So. I don't think there's just a standard that you use all the time. It just really depends. Maybe we'll have five or six that we can use. And if one's working, great. We'll share it with the team. But it depends on the industry you're calling into. I, I like the the social selling. Like We've we've worked with similar companies to you uh, who had have these problems. I'm not sure if these are issues with you. And then asking that question, that's that's always worked pretty well. Because right. obviously, like it's, it's easier for someone to... Not trust the salesperson uh, yep. calling. So you know, if I if I'm telling you, hey, we can grow your business by fourteen percent, or I can say, hey, here's this customer who looks exactly like you. We've helped them grow their business by fourteen percent. There's zero reason why you know we couldn't do the same for you. Like that's a little easier messaging than just me calling and telling you you're going to grow your business by thirty percent. That's like the most old school sales door to door sales type thing. It's funny you should say that too, because I think that um, mentally speaking, the heuristics are when you assert anything, then the the brain receiving that message usually looks for reasons why it cannot be true or yeah. reasons to kind of like either way, otherwise discount or object. But when you're sharing a story forward, basically the where the brain goes is, do I resemble or am similar to, or is this resonant to me? Yeah. Yep, exactly. Do I want the same things that they yep. got? <laughs> and that's that's something else that I'm I'm pretty um, I, I always feel is very important too. When you're using that social type selling, using relevant. So, you know, if you um, if you worked with Nike as a shoe company and you're calling uh, a local SMB Mark Shoes, and I say, oh, we work with companies like Nike to help them grow. Like me as the owner of Mark Shoes, am I gonna? Okay, that's Nike. Like they're way too big for us. And you're and you're probably already thinking like, well, this is gonna be expensive. So it's also making sure you're using appropriate success stories, case studies, things like that as well that that can align with similar problems that they probably... And also, 
down to the core, you know, most salespeople are trying to sell something to help relieve issues or pain points that they have. Nike probably has completely different pain points than than Mark's shoes or or whatever company that we're talking to. That might be like an SMB company. For sure. And you know, the other thing that's kind of interesting that you point out there is I like to think of this in in terms of like birds of a feather, right? Like, would I see Nike similarly to my own company? Well, if my name was Adidas, maybe so. But if my name was Mark's shoe company, probably not. Yeah, exactly. And and on the other like kind of thinking too, which gets complicated. And obviously you never know, but you have to be careful with competitive too. Like, does Adidas really want to work with the same company that Nike's doing? I'm sure right. you know, most companies have very great privacy policies and things like that, but you still at the back of your mind might not love working with the same depending on what you do too. But yeah, it gets uh, a little complicated, but I think you just have to kind of use some best practices for that. Well, you know, the it occurs to me that there might be a join here that that you've recently kind of like uh, tilled this ground or dug in this dirt on as you're formulating your ICP and as you're thinking about all the companies that Feedonomics has helped in the past, organizing these social selling examples, is that something that you've had deliberate work with your marketing team or that you spent, you know, kind of considerable time for for lack of a better way of putting it, maybe you don't refer to it this way, but like these nuggets for your SDRs to use. Yeah. So we're actually part of our marketing department at Feedonomics. So it's a little, oh, wow, nice. Yeah, a little different. That was an adjustment for me too. But at the same time, SDRs are really kind of just a mixture of sales and marketing liaisons. We're kind of like taking the marketing material and, and just getting it out there more aggressively probably than a traditional marketing department would. But content is arguably one of the most important things for a successful SDR team. I think if you don't have a marketing department putting out content, it's really, really, really hard to do your job. And we're very lucky at Feedonomics to have an amazing content team. Uh, between the number of case studies... I, I Like I said, I've only been here six months, so I don't know. can't speak before. But in the six months I've been here, there's constantly new new content. And they're always asking for you know which, which type of industry, which type of vertical, what type of customers. Like, what, what do you want from us? And um, it's a very open conversation with the marketing team. So I think that's really helpful for, yeah. for us selfishly, but also even just the sales team because they can come into the actual meetings then and have a lot more information at hand than, than probably a lot of people do. So I think it's it's just important. And the common thing I hear from from sales and, and us is just a good mix of everything. Like, you know, we don't want just apparel retailers like it's good to have different categories good to have different verticals and then good to have different pain points too like what yeah. were they struggling with um, just so we have kind of a, a resource file that we can then say okay here's this company for us it's it's typically easy to to see like pain points just because we optimize feeds that's what we do at, at the core of what we do so we take a ton of data from any source that they want us to take it from and we can do essentially what they want with it. We can optimize it for different marketplaces, um, for Google, for advertising. So we can search uh, a prospect on, on Google and kind of see right away, okay, well, they probably don't have the best feed management software right now. So then it's a matter of finding the content that's appropriate with them to send them. So in a sense, like you... And you didn't use this word, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But it, it's almost like you're playing matchmaker then, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, really. It's It's... Kind of goes back to that marksman word again, but just in a different uh-huh, form. Yeah. You're you're aligning. Sometimes it could be obvious if you're working with a, you know, a company in Denver that sells ski equipment, and you're calling somebody else in Utah who's has ski equipment. Like that might be pretty obvious, but 
there might be some that don't jump out of, out of you as much. Or you might not always have content that's for every specific selling point. So it might be based on maybe the competitor that they left. Maybe the company you're reaching out to is using a competitor that you have this awesome case study from a company that you just brought from that competitor. So there's the, the tie. It's not necessarily what they're selling or what they're, what they're doing as a business model. Uh, it could be the pain point itself. Maybe a university in Wisconsin or something that, that has a pain point. It's the same as a, a pizza shop down in Florida. I, I'm making that up. But uh, as long as you can tie those together, it doesn't necessarily matter if they're different verticals, different um, industries. It's, they have a similar problem that we can address. Yeah. And and from the prospect side, and this is said from a guy who's been on the buy side for way too long and, and seen every pitch under the sun. What's interesting about all the things that you're kind of suggesting is they don't sound pitchy. They don't sound selfish and me, 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 and all like, you know, just the, the vast majority of cold calls, cold outreach, cold everything that isn't making kind of like these inferences or helping aspirational executives who want to do more, maybe grow their business, you know, in certain ways, make sense of the world. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard. I mean, it's, it's a very, very, very hard job to be an SDR. You're, you're, you have 30 seconds on someone's phone or, you know, you're, you're spraying emails and hoping that someone will reply. And then when they do reply, you know, it's, that's the typically where it just starts. So it's a really hard job. Um, I'm just here and, other people just to try to make it as as slightly easier as we possibly can. Do you view kind of part of your role, especially as you know the head of of sales development, as part like almost therapist, part like oh my god, confidant? All the time. Yeah, I, I think I think because uh, so I had I, especially at my previous job is because the I had you know at one point twenty three direct reports and yeah, my wife used to always be like. Even today, I, I view one-to-ones uh, with my team as more of almost like therapy sessions where it's their meeting. You know, If they want to talk about the accounts they have and things like that, then, then that's great. We'll, we'll do that. But if there's... If, especially if they're doing really well and, and there's nothing I can... I'm not going to critique something or fix something that's not broken. So a lot of times, my one-to-ones are just conversations with, yeah. with the team as far as like... You know, oh, I had this real jerk on the phone the other day, and it's just like, well, you know, just kind of almost like talking them down and trying to help. Like, it's going to happen. You know, especially now we're we're in a world where you're never going to meet them. Like, they, who knows what's going on there a lot? Like, I'm just there to kind of treat them as human beings first, and then yeah, and then as you know, SDRs far second to that to that. So yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. You you have to be, I think, in any any leadership position, the emotional intelligence is, is one of the largest parts of being an effective leader. But especially in this world, just because there's so much failure every day. And I wouldn't even call it failure, but they see it as failure as far as I got zero replies or no one answered today. Um, and just kind of keeping them motivated and to, you know, there's, there's weeks that that happens, but then you can set eight meetings in one day. It's just kind of the ups and downs of the, of the job. And just got to kind of stick with it, trust the process. And and how do you try to get your SDRs who are often young in the role, maybe haven't had huge... I always say the SDR role is impossible because you're calling into people that you've never done the job of, like ever. Yeah. Asymmetric yeah. is the rule, not the exception. But how do you get them in, in the frame of mind of not just talking them down, but like getting them like out of a funk, if you will, in a business that's largely built around failure, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. So I think 
changing the status quo for sure. And and, it, and even there, I'm a little loose. Like if something's been working great and you have one bad week, do you necessarily have to change everything? No. But if you're in a slump for a month and, and what you're doing is not working, then we're going to change that pretty quickly. Um, even if it's just a small, you know, I'm, I relate a lot of things to sports, but like I'm a big golfer and, and it's such a mental sport. Like even just changing yeah. something mentally, I think does so much like so much for your brain and, and your confidence that it could be like switching from doing a call first to an email first and then having them just it, maybe it's just pure luck, but maybe they set a meeting that next day and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, that was it. It was just, it wasn't me. It was this one little call I had. So now that I have this, I'm good to go. Like we're, we're ready to roll. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of tweaks in my golf game, but hopefully the SDRs aren't having as many as, as I have in, in golf. But yeah, just just small things like that, I think could do so much for you, your confidence that uh, that's typically where I'll start, but it, I'm constantly reading emails. We're fortunate enough to have tools now and, and a team where, you know, typically we can see what's working and what's not working relatively mm-hmm. easily. You know, if I have one person who's consistently hitting their quota, it's probably because of their messaging or typically it's just due to activity. But if they're doing something that the other person's not, I might suggest that they're trying to adapt what, you know, this person's doing. And clearly it's working. It might work for you as well. So just trying new things. I love that. Changing up the status quo. I mean, that to me is like, that's a slump buster always, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean, like I said, rewriting everything. It could just be a, it could be a lot or it could just be the, some little tiny minor thing. Yeah. Little tweaks oftentimes in our business go a long way, especially when you're talking about moving percentages up by a few percentage points, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've yet to meet the the campaign that's 100% successful on every dimension ever. Like I know. it doesn't exist. I, well, if it did exist, it wouldn't be us. It'd be a computer somewhere. So that's that's when I always tell my team, we wouldn't have jobs anymore. So let's hope that doesn't happen. But yeah, it's it's just so many things are out of our control. Um, we just try to control the things that we can. So it's just like... And typically for me, I've seen typically slumps are usually just related to activity. Mm. It's obviously not across the board, but most of the time at, at most SDR organizations, I would imagine if you pulled up their, the top SDRs, depending on what reporting you had, if you could add up all of their calls and emails, LinkedIn touches, videos, for the most part, I would assume that the higher the activity typically relates in, in the higher of the meetings. And then you'd have to get into quality and, and look at all of that. But if there's a way you can measure quality in that equation too, I still think that that person would, would typically do better. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. I mean, back to golf or other sports where repetition actually helps everything, right? Like practice makes perfect. And the more you practice, the more fluid, the more natural, the less thinking you often do in you know game time or yep. when the lights are on or when the call is connected or when the email actually gets replied to. Yep. And, and we don't... Admittedly, although I just went on earlier in the show and, and said how much I love calling, we don't do as much role-playing as I used to just because call calls are, are there. Maybe I'm, this is a good reminder for myself to get back into that. But Role playing for the longest time, nobody likes it. Like I didn't even like it. I'd be a manager. I'd be like, ah, oh, we got to role play today. And the SDR is like, ah, oh, here comes role playing today. We role play for an hour, break out in groups, do whatever we do. Every, I never had a person not come up to me after and be like, you know what? Like, although I was dreading that and I wasn't looking forward to it, like when I did my call blitz that day or when I was calling later, I had so much more confidence because I just felt 
if, if you can role play, you can make cold calls. Role playing is awkward. It's uncomfortable, uh, especially face to face. It's just like it's not a natural thing. Cold calling is not a natural thing either, but it's way more natural than like me sitting in front of you holding up a fake phone and making it really uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, it's just like you said, repetition in in most things is just always going to help. That's awesome. Last kind of thought that I'd really be interested to explore with you is as someone who's gone from, you know, being kind of like head of a 23 person SDR team to now, you know, eight person over the last half decade plus, what have you seen kind of like changing the most in sales development? And and where do you think our our profession, our craft, our what it is we do is headed? Yeah. The the biggest thing I've seen, I think, is probably just it's it's almost a two part answer like the the recognition in the role and then the growth and like or maybe the importance would would kind of sum it up as one. Okay, I think one of the most uh, yeah I could probably say like something I'm I'm probably most proud of at my previous company was the recognition that I provided. Like when I was I started as an SDR there, we had a very nice CEO. He knew most people, but you know it wasn't like he was going around like oh you get set a good appointment today. Um, and that was something that when I led the team, I really felt was important. Like. This entry level team really looks up to the the leaders of the company, whether it's a CEO, VP of sales, like FaceTime with them is really important. So we would do like lunches with them and, and things like that. And and even now at Feedonomics, I'm trying to get and and once again, they still have that it's just feels like a smaller company. So the CEO is much more involved and in, and in, in things, but it's still we have like a kudos section. Like it's it's it, it's trying to get more, shine more light on the team and the importance of you know, hey, this deal closed today. Everyone's treating the AE as a hero, which they should be a hero. That's awesome. But the only reason this person is talking to that company is because this SDR set that appointment or set that meeting in the first place. And then as far as changes, I think in the industry, it's just been... Unless I was really looking in the wrong places, I don't remember seeing too many like VPs of sales development and directors of sales. Right. Like It was kind of like you'd be a manager of sales development and then it was like, do you be an AE or can you, can you lead AEs? And I think now companies realize like we can't just sit around and wait for our marketing department to to bring in leads. We can have this team of of individuals proactively and and typically getting bigger accounts, right? Like the the inbound that might come in might close at a higher percentage, but the the quote unquote whales, at least in my experience, are mostly coming through SDR. So having this team and then also just creating an awesome engine of future AEs or future... like I, I, I strongly, strongly believe if you can be a successful SDR, there's a lot of roads that you can go from that position. Um, yeah. I know the most common is probably to AE, but I've seen uh, some great marketers come from SDRs. I've actually even seen product. like Even some... You know, I had an SDR at my previous company that really just was interested in coding, got really involved in it, and ended up going to the product side. Like, I just think if you can learn... The business and and how it can help others. There's tons of of jobs waiting for you. Yeah, in fact, a number of our recent guests have have all flagged the idea. In fact, John Barrows was one of the ones that flagged the idea of SDRs jumping over to the customer success team. You know, post SDR hood, if you will. And so that that seems to be a more and more viable kind of career trajectory. Well, I think they're realizing, you know, as an SDR, you're you're trying to poke holes. That's what yeah. you're really doing. So. You almost have an advantage going into customer success and kind of realizing the importance of customer service. Really, I mean, uh, you know, every company probably, you know, when it's like, how do you differentiate? It's like, oh, it's our level of service, our level of service. Uh, a lot of times that could be true, but 
you as an SDR who sometimes wears many hats and you might be fielding you know calls that the account manager isn't responding you might realize the importance of like i'm going to get into this role and i'm going to really work my butt off to like make sure that my accounts are treated like they're the top of the world and and i i know that there's former me's out there calling them and emailing them and linkedin touches and phone calls and videos daily to them so they they realize like we need to stay stay sharp here and stay on our game that's great well, listen, Mark, this has been a wonderful, wide-ranging discussion. I can't even believe, like, where did the time go? It was so fast. Yeah. For those who maybe want to pick up any of the threads that we started today or get in contact with you, where should they go? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the easiest. So it's just Mark Harnish at Feedonomics is the, the company. My my email is just Mark period Harnish at Feedonomics.com. So email is fine. LinkedIn message is great. I love... I love I have a strong passion for anything sales development. So I love um, connecting with other sales development leaders and kind of discussing ideas or trying to follow, you know, I'm not necessarily that vocalized on LinkedIn as far as like posting, but uh, I'm in the shadows watching a lot of uh, of, of <laughs> comments and podcasts like this and, and blogs and things like that. So I'm always trying to, like I tell my team, put in the reps. I'm also trying to put in the reps as well. Um, to That's make awesome. sure I'm an effective leader. Reps in the shadows. I love it. Yep. <laughs> Maybe it's a new horror movie. <laughs> Good to <laughs> you. Oh, this has been great. So thanks again. Yep. No problem, Eric. Thank you. Thank you.